Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron, and today we are going to talk about the mind's eye. Now, this isn't some astrological stuff. This isn't, you know, sort of the uh, horoscope. No, this is all about the brain-eye connection. So we have Dr. Deborah Zielinski. She's an optometrist, and she's with the Mind-Eye Institute and the Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics. She is leading a ton of research, but she also provides a lot of, well, I'm going to let her tell you, but it's a lot of really good things to help people that have a mismatch going on with their brains and eyes and just not working 100%. And you're asking yourself, why do I care, Tyler? Because TBIs are one of the big things that they deal with. TBIs affect so many of us. It's considered the signature wound of Iraq and Afghanistan. And there are not a lot of great ways to treat it. And this is one of them. So we are really excited to have Dr. Dr. Zelensky on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tyler, for having me. So, Dr. Zelensky, tell us what is the Mind Eye Institute and what do you guys do? Well, I started 29 years ago here in Chicago, and it was called the Mind Eye Connection. A few years ago, we changed and became Mind Eye Institute. When I originally began, I was working a lot with legally blind people and also children with learning problems. My goal is to uh, be like Jonas Salk and solve dyslexia. And then Clark Elliott came on the scene and saw me in 2008. Uh, He had a brain injury, a mild brain injury, and it was affecting his life and he couldn't function the way he used to. So he ended up becoming better, back to better than what he originally was through the use of Donnelly Marcus's work and my work. What I did is put eyeglasses on him that linked his auditory and visual system. So his eyes and his ears had been knocked out of sync in his accident. And I put glasses on that synchronized them. And it made his world a lot less stressful. And he ended up making a full recovery. Donnelly Marcus's work, her, her she gave him puzzles to to work on, to build back brain pathways. So my glasses created the new pathways in his brain and her work rehearsed the pathways. He wrote a book called The Ghost in My Brain and about his uh, tra- his journey in recovery. And that book went all over the world. He has spoken to close to 14 million people over the years. And because of that book, people started pouring in who had TBIs. And then we started getting into veterans and people who had incredible experiences. Some of them had TBIs combined with PTSD or post-traumatic stress. Some of them had blast injuries and blast injuries uh, from the IEDs are totally different than blunt injuries where something hits you in the head. I got lucky enough to meet Bennett Omalu, who was the person who uh, discovered CTE chronic traumatic encephalopathy. 
uh, for people who had a lot of injuries, a lot of concussions. He's the one that Will Smith portrayed in the movie Concussion. And Ben and O'Malley read The Ghost in My Brain also. He was presented an award from the Brain Mapping Association. So this long journey of meeting different people, having patients for you know, decades, got me to where I started realizing that the research is where it's at. The eye doctors don't get into the neuroscience research heavily. And the neuroscientists have no idea what eyeglasses do to a person. And so the main thing is that people think of eyeglasses as something you put on to see more clearly. And That's the way I would see, think it. Yeah. And if you see clearly, like you told me, you see like an eagle better than your wife, then you say, I don't need eyeglasses. And you go to the eye doctor and they say, your eyes are healthy and you see well, so you don't need any glasses. But some of the veterans do need glasses, even when they see perfectly, because the seeing on the outside of you is only one little thing that your eye is linked with. Your eye is also linked with posture, sleep, this, so sleep disorders, mood regulation, memories, all kinds of things. So you would know, Tyler, if you put on my eyeglasses, that you might feel uncomfortable and dizzy or nauseous because eyeglasses can make you feel bad. But what you don't know is that there's a different pair of eyeglasses that would make you feel really good. There are eyeglasses to relax your neck muscles, eyeglasses to shift your lower back so it sits in a different position. And we use eyeglasses a lot in a whole different ways to make people more comfortable because the 2020 measurement that everybody's using was invented in 1862. But the and science might have changed since then. The, the science changed. The discoveries changed. Actually, a month ago, there was a brand new cell discovered in the retina that nobody knew existed. And it, it's, it, they couldn't see it. With microscopes, you had to have the like nanoscopes to see tinier cells, and nobody knows what it does, and it, but it's there, so that's opening up even more retinal research. But if you think of your brain as a big piece of tissue, and you took a fistful of brain tissue and pulled it forward, that is your retina. The inside of your eye is an actual part of your brain, and when infants embryos are developing, there's a neural tube. And one end of it is the retina and the other end of it's the spinal cord. So it's very connected to your central nervous system. I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but that sounds absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So when we put glasses on, we're actually altering brain function at a, at a non-invasive level. And so we'll get people with photophobia or they'll be bothered by sounds around them. They'll be bothered by sights, flashing lights. They can't drive at night because the bright lights bother them. They can't be in a classroom because too many people moving around pulls their attention. So I'll work with that type of thing, figure out how the person perceives the space around them with their eyes, how they perceive it with their ears, and then use glasses to make where they see and where they hear objects be in the same position. That's what I did with Clark Elliott, and that's what we do with a lot of patients. So walk me through that process. So I had a TBI, I have balance issues, I have photophobia, I get migraines. Mm -hmm. So I show up at your clinic and say, hey, I have all these symptoms. What does that look like? How does that process go? Well, that's what an enormous percentage of our patients do. We have the lights are turned down low for so many patients. What does it look like? 
Well, we take visuals processing as a giant chunk of information and it separated into sensory integration, sensory inputs, limbic functions where you're, there's an emotional overlay on how panicked you get if something's not working right. And then visualization, how you can picture things and, and how you conceive concepts. And then we look at what's called a mental desktop of how much you can hold in your mind at one time, how much you are aware of, how much, how easily you can adapt from one thing to another and transition. So we put people through a battery of testing of many different visual skills, which aren't typically assessed in a standard eye examination. For instance, the ability to shift your eyes from place to place. What if you want to look far away and then look close up? If you're in a school, you want to look at a blackboard and then back to your paper. Uh, if you're in a work setting, you might want to look at a client in front of you and then on a computer screen, then over to a telephone then back at a client. Or you might be in a presentation and you need to see the screen as well as take notes. So we'll look at shifting eyesight from place to place. We'll look at following moving targets. We'll do a lot of testing with people walking and navigating through space. So if we make the floor appear to tilt uphill or downhill or sideways, we'll measure how somebody adapts to the changes. We'll also measure the how they perceive shapes if we rotate them, how quickly they can scan clutter and find a detail in it. We'll give them little pieces of information and see if they can make a whole picture out of it. So that if you see, let's say, a ballpoint pen and it's underneath a pile of papers, but just the tip is sticking out, you know, can you scan the room and say, oh, I see the tip of the pen. So there it must be under there. That's a visual skill. So so how it would look, your question is, if you came in and said, I got migraines, balance problems, photophobia, how would it look? You'd have all of these visual skills screened uh, plus more. Then you would see an optometrist who's trained in mind eye techniques and we would measure for comfort and measure ranges that you could tolerate. And we would figure out if glasses were needed to balance your right and left eyes, the circuitry from them, or if glasses were needed to balance your attention and awareness, because you pay attention straight ahead, but then you're aware on the sides of you and that those two systems have to be linked together. And then we'll also look at imbalances between thinking and concepts and details because it's done from a different part of your brain. And if the signals don't go from one side to the other quickly, that can create frustration. And then we'll also look at imbalances of auditory uh, and visual, how you perceive a map in your mind. So this sounds like it's a whole lot more than just getting some glasses to make sure you see well. Sounds a lot more like neuroscience and a bunch of other things combined together. Well, it is because we work with a lot of other practitioners. We, we split things into mind and body and your mind and your body have to adapt to changes in the environment. So your mind is split further into awareness and attention and your body is split into chemical systems and muscular systems. The chemical and muscular systems have to link together and the attention and awareness in the mind have to link together. And what we basically do as optometrists is change the environment. We can put blurry lenses, clear lenses. We can put lenses that tip your chin position, lenses that shift your hips, lenses that pull your eyes in and out. 
and lenses that make things look bigger and smaller and closer. So we're shifting the environment and then we're measuring what you do. And depending on what you do and how much you can tolerate, we'll measure what's called a comfort range, what's easy for you, and then a tolerance range. And most of my veterans that come in with problems, they're living in tolerance mode. They're putting up with life. They're using effort and energy in a way that they shouldn't have to. So things that ought to be effortless aren't, and they're having to figure things out. They want to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and they have to think about the steps to make it and which should I do first and how should I cut the bread? And it should be just effortless where they could be thinking about other things and just do it. And it's no longer that way. So a lot of that is because the outside environment is coming in to their brains in a mismatched fashion. And when that happens, the brain naturally produces stress chemicals. And then those stress chemicals have a feedback loop to the peripheral eyesight. And it it just creates a vicious cycle that the patient can't get out of. So how did you even come up with this? You've been doing this for 30 years. You've been Mm -hmm. seeing, you started out with dyslexic kids and learning probably disorders and making sure kids can see properly. And then you have this one patient and you say, hey, let's try this in 2008. And now we're in 2021. And in 2008, there is very limited research. Trust me, I know because I've read most of it. And then it's gotten way better since then. There's a lot of folks uh, that do a lot of research. We've had people on for CTE and a lot of the TBI research that's ongoing at uh, the various institutes, the various places like the Uniform Services University and other places. We, we coordinate with uh, Project Enlist, the Concussion Foundation. We get it, but I've never heard of using glasses to fix this. So how did you do that? Where did that come from? Well, part of it came from me mentoring with somebody in uh, 1985 till 1992. And he learned from the doctor who discovered all of this in the 1920s. So I'm riding on the back of a lot of optometrists. There's an optometrist named Skeffington in 1929, and he worked in a farming community and his patients would come into him and say, I hate these glasses. And he would say, but without them, you can barely see the big E. And with them, you see the tiniest spot. Why are you giving me these glasses back? Why would you not want to wear them when you see so much better? And their answer was because they plowed their fields crooked. When they wore the glasses, they were plowing their fields crooked and they needed the fields to be plowed straight. So they didn't want the glasses. So he started hypothesizing that there must be two visual systems, one that was seeing the side vision of plowing the field to navigate and the other one that was seeing clearly to identify. And so he separated optometry into the identification pathways and navigation pathways. And then he was went further and said, but wait, there's other pathways of orientation and how your body posture is. Because if you lean back or you lean forward, you're, the amount of space you're aware of changes. And so he did a lot of research and Skeffington taught about a dozen optometrists. And my mentor, Al Sutton, was one of those dozen. And then he taught me in 1985 to look at everything, work with various practitioners in many different fields. And then in 1992, I discovered that even with your eyes closed, the glasses were affecting where sounds were perceived. And 
from then there was no research at that time. The only thing out was the McGurk effect in 1976. So in 1992, barely anything. In 2000, barely anything. 2008, barely anything. But then around 2012 or 13, lots of research came out saying, guess what? The eyes and ears are linked together. And then by 2017, 18, many more research articles. And now it's commonplace. And it's the same thing in 2002. There were cells in the eyes discovered that linked with sleep problems and melatonin production. And it took optometry close to, I think, 10 or 12 years before optometry had that in their curriculum. And now they all learn about these cells, but not necessarily what to do with them. Whereas at Mind Eye Institute, we're isolating those. And we're saying, if we isolate these, what happens? If we isolate the peripheral retina, what happens? If we isolate the central retina, what happens? And, and our PTSD patients and the brain injury patients, they each have something different. It's, I tell people it's like playing cards. You play poker or bridge. Every hand is different, even though you have the same cards. So for the patients, we're measuring the same things. How do you see? How do you move your eyes? How do you function? But the puzzles are different because everybody comes with a different brain. If I see well, and I do, and I went to a regular optometrist, they're going to tell me your eyesight's fine. You don't need glasses. And I go on my way. But I go to the Mind Eye Institute. You're going to do this battery of tests. And I may need glasses, even though I can see well. That's totally right. But if you had the glasses, you might say, wow, I have so much more energy at the end of the day. Or wow, I don't get snapping at people that I'm with. I'm less frustrated all day. Or wow, my neck muscles feel really relaxed. Or I didn't know reading could be this easy. That, that type of thing. Or not as dizzy or whatever it is, those symptoms that show up. Yeah, that, or you're not light sensitive, you're not dizzy, your your balance is much better because you're using peripheral eyesight as part of your balance. That makes so much sense, but you, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. So I was talking about this sort of the process. I show up, I, I get in touch with you, I go to mindeye.com, I, I fill out a survey. Walk me through the process. If I'm a veteran or I know a veteran that probably could benefit, how do you go about getting them to help? Well, the veterans are handled by uh, our patient advocate, CJ. And uh, so people would go and probably call him. What would happen is he would explain to them exactly what they would go through. He would set them up with another optometrist to call them and get a very long history. And then we could look at the history to kind of plan what type of testing they would need. Some people cannot do the long battery all at one time. They need two separate days. And they need, or they need to do a little bit in the morning, then they need to go rest, and then a little bit in the afternoon, and then go to sleep, and then come back the next day. Other people can plow through everything. So we would look at that. They would come to the Mind Eye Institute, get this battery of tests. Each person ends up with an individualized program. So sometimes it requires glasses to stabilize the way signals come from the outside. And other times it requires that plus processing games, learning, developing visual skills. And so we have a whole visual skill development, uh, individualized games for them. And that would be determined based on what they enjoy doing. So if you have somebody who loves cooking, 
We could design games around cooking and how to build up certain visual skills. If you have somebody who likes playing basketball, that's a different thing. If they like computer games, most of our TBI people can't tolerate computer screens very long and they can't tolerate books, sometimes audio books, but we take whatever they do like and individualize their activities. And some, so sometimes they have games, sometimes they have to build the visual skills, sometimes they have glasses, sometimes both. Occasionally, They'll have a filtered lens that they wear to isolate the incoming light. So only certain cells are activated. Sometimes they, they might have a rotating prism goggle, which is a pair of glasses they would wear a couple of times a day. And it would be set. So when they wore it, only one part of their retina would be stimulated. And if the majority of the light were going to the top of the retina, then the signals in their brain would be on one highway, if the rotating prisms were a different direction, then the signals in their retina would be going through a different pathway in their brain. So basically, we're looking at the brain as uh, having lots of highways, and we're trying to figure out which of the highways have potholes in them, and then avoid those highways or lessen the amount of signals that are traveling on those highways. And then you also have training so that they, they figure out how to use their brain in a different way, establish new neuron pathways. We do that, but mostly it's at an unconscious level. They don't, it's beneath conscious. We do visual training also, but that's like the very, very last thing, because often if you fix the foundation and you help, not really fix it, but if you set up the foundation, so the infrastructure is good, a person with a good brain can build it back themselves. We see a lot of people who've had months of visual therapy and they come to us because they're still not quite symptom-free. And we'll be looking at that and saying, wait, it's as if you're putting a chimney on a house and a roof on a house without realizing the house is on quicksand. So we're putting the infrastructure in place by looking at the lower level brain processing rather than the higher level of controlling your eyes. But not everyone gets glasses. Uh, sometimes that isn't what's appropriate for that unique person. Mm -hmm. But other so, times, is that pretty common? It is common, but sometimes people even get two pairs of glasses, one that they're comfortable with and one that they're pushed a little bit with. Like running on a treadmill, you have a comfortable pace and then you sprint a little bit. Then you go back to your comfortable pace and then sprint a little bit. So sometimes they'll have two pairs of glasses to push back and forth. Other times they will have one pair. Other times they'll just have rotating prism goggles. Other times just filters. It totally depends. But a lot of times we see people who come in with brand new glasses and they're seeing 2020, but we'll find that one eye sees 2020 very quickly and easily. And the other eye requires effort to see it or they have to twist their head in a funny posture. So the testing for the 2020 doesn't encompass reaction time and it's always done sitting down. So sometimes when the people are standing and moving, they don't use their eyes the same way. It's not as easy. So if we have a patient like that, they come in, they say, hey doc, I just got my glasses a week ago. I see great, but I have all these migraines and photophobia and balance problems then we'll look and say, oh, but you're taking so much effort with one eye and so little effort with the other, they're not balanced. And so your brain is getting two highways that are sending signals in at different speeds. 
and we'll change the glasses, sometimes to make the eyesight a tiny bit blurrier. I always say to the people, instead of being able to see a mosquito 20 feet away, you'll only be able to see a gnat or, you know, or a fly, but your symptoms will get, will lessen. So most people say they'll give up the 2020 in order to make be 2025 or 2030, but if their symptoms get better. And so we're balancing eyesight with comfort. We don't take away much eyesight, but we build up comfort tremendously uh, because that 2020 is what we're taught in optometry school to always strive for. But there are, you know, that was just, that was made up 160 years ago. And And that's perfect vision, but you're having all these issues related to your eyesight. That's sort of the wiring has gotten crossed at some point and you're trying to get it. So the inputs don't cause more problems. I mean, veterans have a very special uh, relationship. They, They use their eyes way more differently than other people because their peripheral eyesight has to always be turned on. You're always looking for people hiding or people moving or something going to be attacking you. Uh, even people with desk jobs, they, they still need their peripheral awareness. And so the peripheral eye is turned on much more than an average person would be. And if they have any sort of injury, the peripheral eyesight and the central eyesight often disconnect from each other. That is fascinating. You're absolutely right. I just never thought of it that way. So where are you located and how does somebody get in touch with you? We're uh, in a suburb just north of Chicago and they can get in touch with us through mindeye.com. It's a website or I think they can email info at mindeye.com. So I'm just amazed at at this amazing research and, and all the different things. And there was a couple things that I'm not familiar with. What are prism glasses? Well, prism goggles are the round goggles that that have lenses in them that rotate. The lenses are thicker on one edge than the other, and they don't change your direct eyesight, but they alter the peripheral awareness. So if you rotate them a particular way, the floor underneath you appears to pull upwards and be uphill, and you rotate them a different way, and the floor appears to be downhill. And you rotate them a different way and the floor slants to the right or the left. So we use them in different directions to see how the person adapts. And people with brain injuries often find that when the floor slants one way, they adapt perfectly quickly and the floor slants the other way and they can't adapt at all. And they, they get dizzy and nauseous and they hate it. Those are the people with brain injuries. And that's because when the floor is sloping a particular way, more signals are coming into the brain from one side than the other. And if people have a brain injury, then that one side may not function as efficiently. They, they, they have the potholes in those highways. So when the light is angled such that those highways with the potholes are being activated, they hate it, they can't function. When the light comes in a different way and goes in highways that don't have potholes, they're fine. So they wouldn't wear these all the time, would they? No, this would be five or 10 minutes a day, maybe. 20 okay. It's like, a, it's like brain training with your eyes with these yes. goggles, because it sounds terrifying if I had to wear them all day. Uh, that no, no, that no. sounds it's, terrifying. It's for a few, and it wouldn't be like a steep slope, like Magic Mountain. It would be just subtle enough. So you barely notice it, but your hips would notice it. So yeah. we use them also on people, let's say with a knee problem. If you tilt the floor just a tiny bit up, then they lean a different way. 
So you can shift how people lean by how their eyes perceive the floor underneath them. So that if somebody is just has a fascinating. So if you have a lower back problem, you can make somebody lean forward just a little bit and that takes pain off their lower back. If they have a knee problem, you can make them rotate a little bit. You can do that with lenses too, by magnifying one way and minifying another way. So how do you deal with somebody who has a TBI and has all these issues and doesn't see really well? Well, if they don't see really well because they have poor glasses, we give them better glasses so they see better. But if you're talking about somebody who has a disease or a degeneration where they can't see very well. Oh, it's uh, like we, they need glasses to read or especially as people get older, we've been at war for 20 years. You get in your mid 40s and all of a sudden you need uh, peepers and the reading glasses. But then you also are having these other issues. So your eyesight wasn't perfect to begin with. And now you also need some brain training with new glasses. Well, you can get a brainware pair of glasses to build brain function and some learning, visual skill learning activities, and then also a reading pair of glasses. So you might need more than one pair because it's funny, people have all these different shoes, tennis shoes, gym shoes, army boots, and they don't think twice about it. I'm going to the beach, I want my beach clogs. I'm going dancing, I want my high-heeled shoes. But when they get glasses, they always think of getting one pair of glasses to do everything. And sometimes you need to have several pairs, one for reading, one for a computer, one for walking around, but it still boils down in a veteran to where are your main issues. If your foundation is not solid and your body is not comfortable, we got to make your body comfortable first because you're not going to be able to see anything in the distance comfortably till your body feels good. So one of the biggest questions I would have or concerns, I guess, would be, how do you pay for it? Because can you get it with TRICARE? Does the military cover it? Does the VA do referrals? How does that work? There's VSOs, the Veteran Services Organizations, and that's what CJ is in charge of. So I'm really not familiar with much. I know we work with Rags of Honor and we work with a couple of others. They're on our website. Actually, on our website is a veterans page. So if you go under services, you go mindeye.com services, and then one spot says veterans. And if you go on that page, you can hear stories by female veterans, male veterans. There's a lieutenant who's, who wrote a book on PTSD. There's a, an emergency medicine physician in a video talking about PTSD and veterans and how the glasses help. And then from there, there's a list of veteran services organizations to contact. That is always the challenge, and, and but the best thing to do is go to mindeye.com, go check it out, get in contact with them, and learn more about it. If this might be work for you, you probably have to go to Chicago and just north of there and, and spend a day or two with you. And how long? So it's a couple of days, maybe a day, maybe two, and then what? And then you go home, and then you get used to your new brainware. So it gets mailed to you usually in about two to three weeks. And then you build up tolerance to it to become comfortable. And then we have a phone call to see how you're doing. Assuming you're doing what you're supposed to do, then we might add some visual activities to further develop these skills. Basically, the glasses are sending the signals in a more even manner but then you have to rehearse on the inside of your head. It's not good enough to just change the outside. You have to also work on the inside. But then usually patients come back about, depends on the patient, but two, six weeks to three months later, depending on them. And we would reassess what got better, what didn't. 
And from that point forward, we would figure out the trajectory. So people always ask on the first visit, so how long is it going to take till I get better? And we don't know because you need a second visit to see. You need to say, here's how you started. Here's how we intervened. And here's how well you did. So if you do really well and your trajectory is fast improvement, that's going to be different than if you come back and say, well, I didn't do that much different. And then you can also not get better if you don't follow directions. I mean, we had a person who, she was a runner. She used to run 12 miles a day. And then she had an accident and couldn't. And so she got these glasses, felt so good the first day of wearing them that she went for a three-mile run. Well, to her, three miles was a tiny amount because she's used to 12 miles. But she hadn't run in like six years because she had this injury. And so her body was not ready to run three miles. So she laid herself back up in bed for the next two weeks. And then when we called her and she's like, well, these glasses didn't work. They felt phenomenal the first day. I went running and that was the end of me. Yeah, going from zero to three miles is not generally recommended. No, but she was happy because the glasses made her feel so good. So one of the problems we have is when glasses make people feel too good, they do too much. And then they call and complain that they, they you know, overwork themselves. It's just like physical therapy. You got to do it. But if you overdo it, you're going to have uh, not such good effects. Yeah. So so if people stick, if they're compliant, they actually do what they're supposed to do. We can guide them through learning. It's just learning how to use your peripheral eyesight in a different way because you're not necessarily used to it. And after being in a military service, your peripheral eyesight is on high alert And when you go and be a civilian again, you need to tone it down and you need to not be bothered by movements in the corner of your eye because that's attached to your heart rate and adrenaline and muscle tension. I mean, think of it. If you're just looking around and something moves suddenly out of the corner of your eye, you tend and so that your muscles, everything's connected to the corners of your eye and a regular eye exam blocks off the edges of your eye. Yeah. They want to make sure you can read the things on the page, not the things on the side. So what do these glasses look like? Uh, Regular glasses. Now it's most of the glasses look pretty regular. A few glasses we have might have a filter that you can see. So it looks kind of like a piece of scotch tape in a strategic placement. That is not on every person's glasses. And sometimes that's temporary. So occasionally there will be a funny looking glass. But most of the time, they're they just like regular glasses, but they're helping your brain and your eyes focus on the things it needs to and ignore the things it probably shouldn't be spending as much yeah. time on. Yeah, you're, you're muting out the parts that are hypersensitive and you're activating the parts that are hyposensitive. We've been talking with Dr. Deborah Zelensky. She's an optometrist at the Mind Eye Institute. I find this absolutely fascinating. Go to their website. It's mindeye.com. Super easy to find. Go click on veterans if you want to learn more. Dr. Zelensky, thank you so much for joining us. But before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question. What should I have asked you about but didn't? Well, some uh, one thing you could have asked me about is the differences between different types of eye doctors. And there's a lot of different types. There's ophthalmologists, optometrists, neuro-ophthalmologists, neuro-optometrists, and they're confusing just the way that earlier I confused a microphone and a speaker. Because So how I think of them is the is more like auto mechanics versus driving instructors. Their tools are both cars. So everybody has cars, but the mechanic is who you go to when your car doesn't work right. 
something is clunking, something it doesn't feel right when you push the gas, it's jerking, something's wrong. That's when you want the auto mechanic. But when the auto mechanic says your car is perfect, the tires work, the st- everything's there, the fluids are filled, but you're trying to drive and you just can't figure out how to drive comfortably in traffic, or you don't know how to scan your environment to find the street signs, you can't read the street signs quickly enough, and you can't like get on an off ramp, get off an off ramp comfortably. That's when you want a driving instructor and you say, teach me how to parallel park. I have a steering wheel, I have a gas pedal, I have a rear view mirror, but I don't know how to coordinate all of them to fit in a parking spot. Or I'm scared to drive on the highway because all these cars are zooming at me and it pulls my attention away. Or I can't judge where something is because I'm trying to make a left turn and I never can figure out if I have enough room. That's the driving instructor. So optometry is more like the driving instructor teaching people how to navigate through space when you're moving around. And ophthalmology is more like the auto mechanic fixing the parts of the eyeballs with surgery that get broken. That is fascinating. I never knew the difference. And I just sort of, the ophthalmologist, optometrist, it's all the same thing to me. You go to the eyeglass place and I don't wear glasses. So I'm probably less familiar than most people, but people that go to glasses probably know more than I do uh, about who to go to. But you go to an optometrist to get glasses and how to use the equipment better. And if you have like glaucoma, you go to an ophthalmologist. Is that right? That's how it used to be. And then in the 1980s, President Reagan changed everything. So from, I think, 86 or 87 onwards, optometrists also could treat glaucoma and eye infections. So the ophthalmologists do eye surgery. They're medical doctors specializing in surgery of eye diseases. Optometrists tend to work more with healthy eyes, but they also now do treat eye diseases, just not surgery. I didn't know that. So that's super fascinating. We were were having a little bit of discussion before the show, trying to figure this out. And that's why uh, Dr. Zelensky is like, hey, here's the difference. And I learned all about it. And now you have learned about it as well. Dr. Zelensky, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well and sharing with us about the uh, challenges folks have with even with good eyesight, getting that brain neurology, getting that chemistry working the way it should through various training and eyeglasses and all the treatments that you provide. The best way to get in touch with Dr. Zelensky and the other folks at the MindEye Institute is just go to mindeye.com. Super easy to find. So, Dr. Zelensky, I know that this has a ton of research going on. This is a new area of study. And anytime we have a new area of study, we have lots of researches and conferences and people putting out papers. Where can people find out more about what's happening? That's a great question, Tyler. Uh, There's a convention in Los Angeles in March, 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th. And it's called the Brain Mapping and Therapeutics Convention. It has researchers from all over the world coming and uh, in many different disciplines. There's 18 subcategories, including neurodegenerative diseases, but you'd be most interested in the military medicine subcategory. I'm in charge of the optometry ophthalmology subcommittee. And then each of the committees, the cardiovascular, traumatic brain injury, each of those committees has four days of speakers. Each of the speakers has brand new research and it's split into uh, three segments. There's also keynote speakers. 
And one of the great things about the Society for Brain Mapping Therapeutics is that it brings together different kinds of people. So the military has a huge presence there, uh, as well as the politicians who change laws. I want to change the way eye exams are being done for people with brain injuries, because the people with brain injuries are not getting their peripheral eyesight tested enough. And so the, we can change those laws. And it's a tremendous conference. They're starting a brain technology innovation park. And that would be a place for brand new research to meet with inventors and build devices and machines that would take, would screen the brain. Currently there's screenings for mammograms, the colon cancer screenings, but nobody's screening the brain for aneurysms and Alzheimer's. And yet the eye is one place you can see some of these degenerations. So the Brain Mapping and Therapeutics Group is working on a brain screening. And we have a paper coming out in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease on this. It's The research is just huge. So this is coming up in March. And what's the name of the conference again? SBMT, Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics. And you can find them at worldbrainmapping.org. And there's what, a thousand different presenters coming on? Yeah, there's uh, I think 18 or 19 subcategories and each one has 60 presenters. So it's if you want research on the newest thing for military medicine, that's what you want. Four days worth of military medicine. You're going to have people from all over the world presenting on the newest thing for the military. We've been talking with Dr. Deborah Zielinski. She's an optometrist at the Mind Eye Institute and the Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics. Thank you so much for coming on and coming home well and sharing about this new research and new ways to help treat TBIs and all sorts of other things with therapeutic eyeglasses and brain training. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Follow us on Instagram at comminghomewell underscore BTS or on Twitter at comminghomewell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.